This is Mallory Irvin, and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. So welcome back to the Living Fully Podcast. I'm your host, Valerie Irvin, and I am here with one of the most amazing people in this entire city, in this entire country. Miles Adcox is someone that I have looked to as a light for a really long time. And you've probably seen him around if you watch the Dr. Phil show or if you've ever heard of the program Onsite. He's just in so many spaces, and he's so needed in so many spaces because of his message, and you're going to see that today. So Miles is a speaker, a podcast host, a business leader, and a coach. He is the owner and CEO of Onsite, as I just mentioned. It is an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle brand. They deliver life-changing personal growth workshops, inspiring content, leadership retreats, and emotional treatment. I have been to a program very similar to this. Miles' work at Onsite has been featured on 2020, Good Morning America, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Dr. Phil Show, and The Doctors. Miles Adcox has devoted his life to living into three concepts, empathy over action, love over agenda, and grace over advice. Publicly and privately, he is known as one of the most plugged-in people on the human condition that there is today. Miles has created and managed multiple mental health programs, personal growth workshops, and speaks nationally on emotional wellness. Miles has been featured as a speaker and facilitator at so many events, including Oprah Magazine's Rising Strong Day with Brene Brown and TEDx, just in case you've ever heard of something called TEDx. (laughs) He's consulted major brands on organizational health and emotional wellness and is a communication, personal growth, and mental health consultant in the entertainment industry as well. And he's just all around one of the best guys in all of Nashville and my friend. Without further ado, Miles Adcox. So I'm just sitting here with one of the, in my opinion, in everyone actually in Nashville's opinion, just all around best guys in this town, Miles Adcox. Wow, thank you. I mean it, Miles. I I tell a lot of people about you and you're just one of the greatest guys which is why everyone shares my opinion that you're just the best. Well, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you. Well, I'm really excited for this podcast because as I told you before it started and when we talked on the phone about doing this podcast, you know, I, I started in this space probably four years ago. People started kind of sending me these messages about, about life, about just struggles that they were having about this undercurrent of fear or inadequacy or, is this all there is type feelings. And, you know, I, like you, have kind of had my own journey and personal development and mental health and just an emotional awareness journey. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're on the same one. So that all being said, I want to start talking a little bit about Onsite because in my own journey, I attended a program that was similar to Onsite. It was called Breakthrough. And You know, Onsite is, Miles is the owner and CEO of Onsite, like I mentioned in his bio, and 
it's just this amazing program. And I'd love to get started. Miles, if you'll tell me a little bit about why you started on site and just a little bit about what it does there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's such an honor to get to lead a, a program like on site, but I'm so excited to hear, and I'm not surprised that more and more people that, that follow and that you inspire are talking about this. It feels like the paradigm is certainly shifting around how people are opening up, but there's also, I think it's creating this pent up demand of a whole lot of people seeing that it's starting to be okay, but they haven't quite outrun their initial imprint that yes. you shouldn't talk about difficult things. And so, I'm glad to see it trend, and yet there's such a huge need, maybe more of a need than ever. So on-site, it's short-term intensive personal growth, emotional health workshops. So it's usually frame it up as an emotional wellness retreat center. And we've got some of the best therapists in the world that we fly in every week, and they'll lead people through a four-day or a one-week intensive. That equates to about a year's worth of traditional outpatient therapy. Wow. If you were to do it hour by hour in a 50-minute session, about the, t the amount of times that people would do that on average. And in a sense, it's kind of emotional health boot camp. But a lot of times people are conditioned, if you think about it from a physical term, when they come in. So it's not, it actually can work better when people have done some traditional outpatient therapy. Okay, yeah. And it helps because you're building on a foundation that it can help really integrate and kind of launch people forward into their next level of what I would call stage two kind of emotional recovery, where you really begin to put the tools into action. Because it's almost like the initial step into counseling and therapy is discovery. And, and then you kind of get into this recovery phase. And then you begin to transform parts of your life that will put it into action. And you mentioned Breakthrough, and those are friends of mine. That's a very, as you said, a very similar program. Actually, the guy that used to run it, Austin, is now down mm -hmm. working with us. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot that Austin used to run it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they and Anne is, is, a, is a friend. I don't know if she's still there anymore. But, but same concept. It's just probably a little bit different in terms of the offering and mm -hmm. the specialty. But yeah, Emotional Health Retreat Center will take about 2,500 people a year through wow. short-term intensive workshops. And some of those are private intensives, like individual couples or families, and a lot of ours are group programs. And then another offering at OnSite that people aren't often aware of is we've got a, a smaller residential program that specializes in trauma and depression and anxiety. So that one is like a, where people would actually stay longer. It's still emotional health yeah. treatment, but you'd stay longer and it's just for like 20 people at yeah. a time. And I mean, there's so many, like look at all the different facets that you have just under the onsite umbrella. There's so many different ways to come to a, to a better life. And I, like you probably, I've been under the umbrella of traditional therapy and it was great. And it's amazing, you know, the things that stand in our ways. It's, it's amazing the things that I learned about myself that were standing in my way, even at Breakthrough. I, I've heard say on a lot of podcasts, like you think you come from this perfect family where, where things are just great. And then you realize 10 years down the road that something that you're doing in your life, it connects back to something that went on in that household and something that doesn't necessarily even seem bad. And I've read a lot about your story and, and your upbringing, and I'd love to, to now kind of move into why did you even get in this field in the first place? You know, why is this a passion of yours? And uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, it was certainly no mistake. It was through the lens of my own experience. I, I, didn't, I didn't think as a young man, and then also once I got into undergraduate and graduate school, that this would be my career. I had my eyes on something different. I grew up playing sports and was an athlete and 
my dream was to be in the sports industry on the entertainment side of the business side of the sports. And I got an opportunity to do that for a few years. And ironically, when I was at kind of the top of my profession, literally right out of school, I way out kicked my coverage and got a job that I wasn't probably qualified for, but I was so proud of. And I thought it couldn't get much better than this. This is exactly where I've always wanted to be. I was getting all kinds of external validation from the people that, that mattered to me. And yet at the end of the day, I'd go home and feel empty. Gosh, I know that story. And feel lonely and feel tired and feel like I didn't know what to do with that. And so my original imprint, which you've said I've talked about before, was a, a really well-intended, amazing family as I look back because we did a lot of things well. But there were things that got handed down to our system generationally that we just did the best we could with what we had at the time, yeah. which is we didn't do emotion well. And I would say, I always say sometimes we we were kind of emotionally illiterate, meaning we just didn't. And, I, and I've learned that a lot of families are. Oh, it's are. so common. Oh, it's so common that you just don't have language. It's yeah. countercultural to identify, own, and think about where a feeling and emotion mm -hmm. is affecting you and your body. It's not something we typically talk about. When I got my first introduction into it, it was on the back end of that loneliness that I finally reached out and asked for help. And yeah. help was bumpy, meaning I had a lot of false starts into trying to get traditional counseling. And, and a lot of people do, because I think many of us assume that get on Google, find the closest therapist yeah. and, and set up an appointment and that th that will be smooth and I'll connect with them and it'll be great. And then I'll start my healing journey. Yeah. It rarely happens like that because therapy is like any other profession. It takes a minute to find the right match often. Sometimes it doesn't if you've got a third party referral and you can get recommended to somebody who's already done the matchmaking process for yeah, you. Yeah. But it's a bit like matchmaking is you want first you need to connect with a human being who has a skill set, but they can show up as a human being yeah. first so that you feel safe to talk about it. Once I found that, it honestly, that was the first step in shifting the paradigm and starting to transform my own life. Long story, but I just I got into like a five year journey of pursuing my personal growth and emotional health. Yeah, and it was painful in the beginning, as it often is. But I was so drawn and attracted to the process that I just knew, honestly knew, probably thirty days into it, that I wanted to make a career of this. Yeah, and it wasn't. And I actually I remember one of my early mental health plans that I had kind of been given by a mental health professional that kind of identifies here's what you're struggling with. Yeah, here's what's wrong with you. On the back of that, I wish I still had it. I can't find it. But on the back of it, I wrote a 60-page business plan oh. and, and with an idea that I'm living into now, which is I wonder if one day we could take this beautiful information that for some reason is packaged and branded all wrong. Yeah, It's for people who think that they're, they're broken and searching and that something's not working in their life. And it is, but it's also for everybody else. Yeah. And so I thought, I wonder if we could take that one day and create a model that would be make it more digestible, wow. make it more accessible. More people could have their life changed for it. And so I would say there were a lot of steps in between. Yeah. A lot of little career moments of crisis intervention and then running residential treatment and then ultimately having an opportunity to, to kind of be part of creating something yeah. that now does what my original dream was about. Wow. That's pretty cool. And isn't it so funny how... My story actually is, is very similar to yours. I feel like early on in my life, it was my early 20s, I'd achieved all of these huge dreams in my life. And then I started feeling like, man, it really didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. And I, I, like you, I felt empty and lonely and sad and confused. And, you know, my 
kind of breaking point, my decision, like, you know, I can't live like this. I have to move forward in a different way in my life. That happened with help of other people. And, you know, I'm curious in your story, did you, what was the moment that you decided, I can't live my life like this anymore? Were you like rock bottom, somebody stepped in, or was it kind of a decision? Because I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're there where you and I were. Maybe it's not the same way, like they've achieved huge success and they're feeling loneliness, but maybe there's just this undercurrent of like yours and my family, like they're not communicating well as a family or they feel dissatisfied in their work, like they're not contributing to the world or just that this, is this all this is kind of feeling. You know, what what was that turning point for you? What did that look like? You know, if I, if I trace my story back, I'd have to give some credit to my mom. We had a challenging relationship early on, but then she's always just gotten she just got me and she kind of knew she knows what's going on inside of me before a lot of people know what's yeah. going on on the outside. And I think during that season, when I began to struggle and there are so many of us. And so I'm glad you put some qualifiers in there in terms of everybody has a story. That's the one thing I'm absolutely certain of is every human being has a story absolutely. and no story has a straight line. Everybody experiences adversity. Nobody escapes stress and compound stress and it can look different. I mean, a yeah. lot of people experience trauma. A lot of people, exactly what you and I described, is experience unfulfilled success. Yes. It is oh. so common. It's like you get there and you're like, now what? And for me, you asked that question specifically for me. I've got a lot of theories about everybody else and when you get there. But for me, honestly, it was I did hit somewhat of a bottom at, at what should have been the best time in my life. And it was depression. Yeah. I didn't have a name for it, but that was what it was. Now that I look back and know how to identify it. And I just got really depressed because I kept compounding emotion and didn't have an outlet yeah. to talk to anybody about it or didn't create one at the time, didn't know how. And I started having physical symptoms like weight loss and lack of sleep. And I was just medicating and numbing mm -hmm. that out in some unhealthy ways and just didn't look good. And yeah. my mom was the one that kept saying, are you okay? Are you, she didn't even know what questions to ask, but she was, she had the courage to be clumsy in trying to, to, to wrap her arms around me in the best yeah. way she knew how. And so she asked me a lot of great questions and ultimately was the one that encouraged me, you, you should get help. And finally I listened to her. And yeah. so I'm lucky that I had a, even though we had some difficulties in my family, I'm lucky that I had someone in my family that was the one that spoke into me. But I find for a lot of people, that's often what it takes is one person looking into another person's soul and speaking into them. Ideally, it's somebody who knows you pretty yeah. well, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. And you know, I, I think of the person that's listening to this that's like, I, I need help. I need to move my life in a different direction. But I also think, and I get a lot of people that ask me about Say you're the person that sees a person in your family in the state that you and I were in. If you see a child struggling, if you see a, a spouse struggling, you know, how do you guide someone? How do you guide someone to get the help that they need? Because, I mean, I know from personal experience, until you want help and until you're ready to accept help and to do your own work, it's just not going to happen. So do you have any advice for those people? You know, those people that are listening that want so badly to help someone, but it's so hard to do that, I feel like. Yeah, I think my, just borrowing on the wisdom from another tradition, I would say bypass advice and just share your experience, strength, and hope. And that's the one thing that people need less of when they're in that 
moment of ambiguity, of pre-contemplation, of thinking, I, I need help, but I'm not sure I trust it, yeah. is we want to kind of advise them in a direction that we feel like would best support them. And often advice is necessary, but what people really need is a big dose of empathy. Yeah. And when you and I are doing that, I say right now we're doing that, meaning I say a lot, put down the microscope, pick up the mirror. It's so it's so common to hyper-focus on the person that's struggling the worst yeah. instead of being able to say, actually, every, every human being struggles. And if I can look inward and draw on my experience and share it with you, it's going to give you permission to talk about yours. Yeah. So it's like you and I both have, have been in it and on the other side of our own struggle. And we could have started this conversation and be 15 minutes into it talking about it from professionals, like we're experts now and trying to help people transform their lives. And you've earned that in what you do, because I follow your work. And, and then I work in it professionally, but we haven't even gone there. We haven't even gotten up here at the, and I, which I don't trust experts much anyway. So I, I, that was my next question for you. Yeah. But, but I, I think we've been talking about our own story. Your questions have not been about it's been both. It's what do they do, but how has it impacted you? Yeah. And I've, and I used to feel, I used to have this kind of shame cloud when I would talk about my own story because I was like, is it really that necessary to go back and talk about that season? And I, and now I have pride to look back and that I went back and embraced myself at that time and I still bring him along because he still has crappy days. Mm-hmm. and it, But I still get to bring him along now and then share that experience, strength, and hope with other people. Yeah, it's so true too because in this space, it's become a buzz thing. It's become a, a really popular thing for anyone to talk about emotional wellness, which I love that people are talking about emotional wellness. But sometimes I feel that people are giving very specific advice that haven't even been through anything under this umbrella. And I I know that whenever I started into the therapy world, I always connected more to the therapists and the people that were trying to help me that have been through what I had been through. I just always did. And it's really interesting. I, sometimes I don't know what to think about it. I don't know if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing that everyone wants to talk. Everyone's a guru now, you know? Well, yeah, they, they are. I, th- I think overall it's a good thing. I like you. and I, I, and I agree with you. I have a healthy level of uh, skepticism, I think, or just, just thinking about it, just making sure that uh, is this the right collective approach? And yeah. ultimately, the at this point, not a lot, a lot of people in my profession, mental health professionals, therapists, coaches, ha- have a different take on it. They, they feel there's a lot of underqualified or untrained people yeah. that have had some life experience and now have gotten online and, and have started coaching and counseling people. And, and and I do see a little bit of danger in that if you're advertising something that you're not trained in. Yeah. But a lot of people aren't. They're just well-intended people that are pouring into people's lives and touching people that we probably never will yeah. as a profession. Mm-hmm. So overall, I like this pendulum swing mm-hmm. where people are talking about it. You do get, it's kind of like any other movement. You can go to 10 different channels and get 10 different pieces yeah. of direction or advice and just kind of find, turn the volume up on the voices that are connecting with you and down on the ones that aren't supporting you. But I'm just glad more people are talking about it. Yeah, I am too. I agree with you on that. And so we started talking about kind of our own stories. Here we are. We have achieved all of this greatness. Like you're standing at the top of the mountain and it's just kind of like, man, shoot. <laughs> this is, It's just so different. Even when I started realizing that in my own life, I would still, I was so attached to all of my titles and all of the things that I had done. And I can remember, Miles, when I first moved to Nashville, you know, 12 plus years ago, I can remember introducing myself to people. And 
when people would say, like, hi, how are you? Or I would introduce myself. I swear it was in the first two sentences that I needed to make sure that they knew I had done Miss America and that I had done The Amazing Race and that I had, I would literally, it was like I was reading my bio to these people. And I look back on that and I just kind of laugh because I needed to do that. I needed to do that because I felt like this is the reason that they're going to want to talk to me or be friends with me or date me or whoever the person that I was talking to. And I think that that's a struggle that a lot of people have, whether they realize it or not. We are so attached to those things. Like, I've done this, or I am this. Like, I'm a mother, you, I'm a father. I am CEO of OnSite. You know, me, I'm podcast host of this. I'm whatever, New York Times bestseller, whatever it is. How the heck do we get through that and figure out who we really are? Wow, what a question. It is so real what you're talking about. We are all just human doings Mm -hmm. and and we've forgotten Mm -hmm. the art of being a human being. And that's one of the things I I love, but I've honestly been challenging the theory a little bit because at OnSite every week when people gather from around the world, from all walks of life, a, a lot of very accomplished, creative and interesting people, we ask them not to share their profession for the entire time they're there. Really? And, and so cool. when you're yeah. there for a week, you've got a whole bunch of people and you don't know what anybody else does. And so suddenly it just takes our our number one, what can be a, a bit of armor down. Because I do the same thing. Well, everybody does. In the first 90% of the time, in the first 30 seconds of every new conversation, you hear about what somebody does. Isn't that something? 90%. It's only 10% of conversations do we start. 90%. Wow. And so that we would start and talk about who we are versus what we do. So one of the first things we'll do when I'm opening up a program, like a Living Centered program, you've got all these people who don't know what anybody else does, is I'll say, we're going to do an EQ exercise, an emotional intelligence exercise. I want you to find one person that you don't know that well, which is not hard when they're a bunch of strangers. And I want you to just take 30 seconds each way and share something about yourself as a human being. Only thing that is off the table is anything that has to do with what you do for a living. I bet that's so hard. It's hard because it's just not normal. It's countercultural. But it ends up being powerful and it kind of sets the stage for where we're going to go. Is the, and, and then at the end, it's kind of fun after pin, people have been together for a week. We have an opportunity, a playful way to guess what people do yeah, after they've that is really... Fun. And sometimes they just choose not to. They don't even want to know. They're just like, I don't, it doesn't even matter at this point, but it just kind of levels the playing field. How do we get to who we are? I think we, we practice more of that. I think we practice our intentional with the people closest to us and maybe one layer outside of that. And then you can even take it into your boardrooms and classrooms of be intentional of having conversations that aren't relative to what you do so that you can spend time practicing living into more of who you are. It's not that they don't line up and that they're not tethered together because who I am is very much, I think, aligned with what I do. But I can, one of my biggest medicators, my go-to, I call a medicator would be something I would use to numb emotion, particularly when I'm feeling a lot of stress. I can lean hard into work because mm-hmm. well, I get a, I, it's a big payoff for me. I get a lot of validation from it. I get known from it. People, like what you said, people that know me for what I do think, oh, he's a good guy. He's helping people. And that feels good to me. I'm a words of affirmation guy. But I got to be really careful with it because it can be a drug just like everything else. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the same as you. Yeah, I'm the same as you. And it's so funny how you can just trade one thing for another. Like I'm not a drink. I take no medication. I I don't have those numbers. But, man, I I can numb with work or validation. And... You know, one thing with 
working so much and that being my go-to that I've had to kind of shift that. And it's something else that I want to ask you about is I became a parent and, and we have children. Miles and I have children that are around the same age. So how old is Maverick? Two and a half. He turns uh, three in August. Okay. So Ford will be two in April. And then Birdie is... 10 months. 10 months. And Shepard is five. So we're kind of in the same phase of life with that. And I now think... So I used to just be so concerned with myself and being like, how do I get my head straight? How do I guide people in this space that has changed my life in such a drastic way? But now I think, what am I doing as a parent that is affecting these children for the rest of their lives? Because I know a lot of the things that stood in my own way, they happened whenever I was little and things that I saw and things that people modeled to me. And you know what I really love? I feel like in so much in our culture right now, people talk about is bad, but so much is good. And do you know one thing that I think is great? I see you embody it and I see my husband embody it. You play both roles, I feel like. And men, they don't have to be this hard, unemotional figure in the household anymore. They can be just like we've always seen a mother. Like they can be very tender and they can be the person that teaches lessons. They, they can be a caregiver. They can be all these amazing things. And I see you from a distance embody that, I feel like, in your own home. And I hear you talk about that. And my husband certainly embodies it. I mean, he answered the door with a baby on his hip. Which <laughs> I love. Yep. But a lot of people listening to this are parents or will be parents. Do you have any advice for people? How do you model emotional well-being to your children? How do you help them navigate that world and set that foundation for them? I think one of the most tragic things that we can do as we try to imprint the next generation or our kids is to, to have an unlived life. And so I, I do encourage parents to, to try to live fully into who they are and who they're becoming personally and professionally, because I believe that gives us an opportunity to be the best version of ourselves when we're around our kids and they pay attention to everything. And so I, I try to take the pressure off parenting perfect or learning to parent well, just by living the best version of my life. And also, and living the best version of my life means being a good dad and balancing my work-life balance and spending time with them. But left to my own devices and being a good husband to my wife, but left to my own devices, I will counterbalance in a hurry and, and suddenly, not because I don't want to, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's hardwired in me. It's an old pattern to overwork if I'm yes. not careful. And so I have to check. I need an accountability partner. And in that case, it's my wife, Vanessa. And so I'll check in with her once a week and say, how do you feel like I've, it's not like how'd I do at the end of the year? How'd I do in 2018? Was I, did you feel like I was pretty present for the kids? Every week I ask her that question. That's awesome. Is, do you feel like I was present this week for the kids? And she gives me an honest answer. Some, it's not always, oh yeah, you crushed it. You know, you were here. I felt like you were present. It was like, you know, you were a little distressed or you were a little distracted. I felt like you were carrying some stress this week. It, it doesn't feel like I, sh I don't feel shame in that moment. I just feel like, okay, that was a small little rip. Now I get to repair it. Yeah. So what, so we try, we're trying a lot of different things. So Maverick's getting his vocabulary, of course, and it's so fun to hear, but I've got a feelings chart. So I've got one on the refrigerator. That is such an awesome thing. I love that. One in his room. And then we've got one we'll put on the floor where he can kind of stand on it. And he and what's what's awesome is he's in that kind of two and a half year old somewhat narcissistic phase yeah. of life where <laughs> mine no and, and and it's a normal phase of development although it it just it'll kick a parent's butt it's oh, kicking our, it's like uh, making us think we are what are we doing to our child <laughs> uh, but if you talk to 
you know, parenting experts and you, you recognize that's a normal phase of development. If they weren't doing that, they'd probably be getting tested for developmental delay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they are trying to say, I'm independent and autonomous from you and I'm going to show you every minute just to make sure it's right. It's true. Also, I, I got off topic there, but feelings charts repair. I'm starting to repair already with him. If Vanessa and I have an argument in front of him, then I get on a knee and look at him and just say, hey, buddy, I just, I just want you to hear that that wasn't about you. That, this, so awesome. that your mom and I had a disagreement and we we're trying to learn to argue well, just like we love well. We want to we want to argue well. And often it's again, it's not about the rip. It's about the repair. You're yeah. going to make parenting mistakes, marriage mistakes, work mistakes, but you get to repair them. And that's yeah. what most families don't get. They don't yeah. get the circle back to a kid. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever too early to do that. And the second or another thing I mentioned in there was getting down on their level. That goes a long way to raising an emotionally healthy child, I think, is is getting down and looking at him eye yeah. to eye. And it's been amazing how much I've been able to ground Maverick when he is emotionally dysregulated just by seeing it wow. and trying to figure out, say more, buddy, what's going on? It's kind of the same thing we would do in, in a therapeutic setting. It's really good listening, good empathy, clarity, and then helping them identify what they may be feeling yeah. at the moment. Now, of course, with him, he's he's already learned to, to emotionally manipulate because uh-huh. the first <laughs> the first two or three feelings he got, he realized sad, identifying sad, which most men can't identify and avoid like the plague, gets a different reaction from mom and dad than happy. Oh, and yeah. so when he, he doesn't <laughs> when he doesn't want to go to bed, it doesn't matter. He could be the happiest kid in the world, and he's like, "I'm sad." <laughs> and I was like, "Are you, buddy? What's going on?" <laughs> good Maverick yeah. that's good and I, I need to mention too I adore your wife Vanessa is a she is a wonderful woman who from the second that I met Vanessa she's very like vulnerable wears her heart on her sleeve she's vibrant she's beautiful she's just so good and and kind and I've just always felt that about her I mean I'll run into her at the mall and she can remember, like, we both had gestational diabetes, I remember, and she asks me about that. She remembers things about people, and she's just an awesome woman. And I just need to mention that because I think those spouses that we choose in our lives, they're, they're pretty, it's pretty critical to our everyday well-being. And mentioning that, and because I know Vanessa, and because you just talked about Vanessa, you know, a lot of people, and a lot of people used to, I feel like even more so than now, they would, they would think you can't have anything negative happen in front of your kids because that's how we're going to raise them well. We're not going to fight in front of them. We're not going to disagree in front of them. We're going to act like everything's fine. And then these are the children that I I was talking to that were like, didn't my parents, they got divorced when we were 19 and left and graduated high school. And we had no idea anything was going on. And then there's all kinds of issues that happen with that. So I like it that you just said when you have an argument in front of your child because it is life. And even people like you that have been through a lot of amazing therapy and you get to talk to the greatest thought leaders in the world all the time, you still have arguments with your wife because that is life. I like it how you talked about that, how you talk about it's the repair because we're going to have those ruptures and those things happen. So do you recommend, do you have those arguments? Do you live your life in front of your children? For the most part. We're also, I'm certainly human. We're human and we don't do it right all the time. Even with personal recovery and education and professional tools, a lot of that goes out the window. But we 
So we do a little bit of both. I mean, we try to be open and, and live our life in front of our kids. And then sometimes we have that stress response of we'll look at each other like, well, we can't talk about this in front of the kids. And then we just go, we try to figure out what is it that feels appropriate? Because I think there will be certain seasons when there's a lot of stress in the marriage, yeah. particularly when you got two kids under two and yeah. things like that. <laughs> this is just my experience is I, I don't know that having an open dialogue in front of your kid all the time, particularly if you've got conflict or con which an absence of conflict is dangerous, but also too much conflict without the right tools can be dangerous. Yeah. So I, I don't think they can handle, cause you can see a child getting stressed when mom and dad are in an argument. And I don't think they, their, their little nervous systems are evolved in a way that they can stay in that tension as long as you can. So I, I think you just have to f feel it out. For us, there are certain arguments that we might have, and then we might bookmark yeah. and, and then have the rest of the conversation not in front of the child. But I don't think you try to avoid conflict in front of your child because, again, you said it's human nature. That's great advice. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, moving on, some people that are listening to this are not parents. So I also want to speak to them. And I because you're in this space so much, because on-site, I know you see, I have so many friends that have been through on-site. I have a lot of celebrity friends that have been through on-site, normal, everyday people, friends that have been through on-site, old, young, from all different places. And I've heard so many other people tell you this also. I've heard every single time that it was the most amazing experience like of their life. I've heard that. I've heard that from every wow. single person, Miles. And I mean, it would be hard not to, to overwork in your life when you know that you're doing this type of work. I, I understand it. And, you know, I want to speak to two things really quickly to those people, because I feel like in our culture, and especially like in the hustle age, busyness, everybody puts busy, wears busyness and like I work and I work and I work as a badge of honor. And I fall into that myself sometimes. And I feel like, am I going to be forgotten? Am I not producing enough content? You know, by the time that all of this big stuff that I'm working on right now comes out, if I'm not doing more and more and more, are people even going to care? And just, just people in their everyday lives, I feel like we get caught up just in this busyness and it's just, it's just a rat race. Do you have any advice? Because I hear you talk a lot about that and you know, you're just the way that you are, your, your spirit, it's so calming and grounded feeling. So you have to have it somewhat figured out, even though you're one of the busiest people I know in this town. Can you give a listener advice on that? You know, when they feel like they're on that, that wheel, that rat race of busyness, how do they step back and live their lives? And I'll, own the human side of this too, is I, I, I do it. And I am proud of how I do it well sometimes. And there's certain times that I struggle with it, just like what you shared. But what I try to do and what I've learned to do a little bit better is to not try to eliminate. If something is creating challenges in your life and you, in other words, there's this point of resistance to your flow. Often we just meet resistance with resistance. And yeah. resistance meeting resistance just creates more resistance. And so don't, we do this with fear and anxiety, but particularly busyness is what you ask. So often busyness can be a problem for so many of us and we just want to eliminate it, and, yeah, which is so an true. unrealistic expectation. And so I tell people or invite people, I like, don't try to get rid of busyness, just change your relationship with it. Okay. So it can have a seat at the table 
and if it doesn't have the seat at the table, it's kind of like the parents that never fight is we pretend like there's not an issue and then it grows into a significant issue 10 yeah. years later. Business is the same way. It's just we can control the volume and the energy that we give to it or it takes from us if we just acknowledge like, okay, you're there, but there's a lot of other things that are at the table too that are going to take priority. And I just want to evaluate it, talk about it, look at it. What you are, you and I are doing right now is missing from a whole lot of conversations and teams and marriages is just talking about it. Just say, I struggle with this. How about you? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, me too. And then we kind of talk about it a little bit. That alone can lower your ambient stress level and let you honestly reattach your worth to that environment. At Onsite, and I appreciate what you shared about people's experience, and I used to say that I don't have much to do with that. I've got a great team. And, and, and I do. But now I say, actually, I do. I'm part of a great yeah. team. I, yeah. I live into you and do. work in that environment. And we spend as much time trying to curate the psychological safety of the environment as we do bringing clinical sophistication and in, in, in curriculum and modalities to people's change process. Those two together are pretty magical. Yeah. When you have a change tool and you have an environment that's set up for it. And usually people ignore the environmental components and yeah. the hospitality, but that's exactly what we're trying to create in our home and our work life is we're just trying to change the ecosystem, not the problem. And then the problem takes care of itself. So in your home, how would you do that? In, in your own home, how do you do that? Like change, we talked about busyness, but you said it can also apply to fear. I feel like, especially lately, there's a lot of fear-based stuff happening so, okay, here, fear, you have a seat at the table. I'm acknowledging that you're here. I talk to Kyle at night. We do actually have conversation over, gosh, I'm feeling like I'm not doing enough, or I feel like I'm doing too much, or I'm really scared that our kids are going to get whatever sickness is floating around at the time. I feel like we've been sick for three months, you know? How do, how do you do that in your regular life? Like, not at, at onsite, not in your work life. How do you do that in your regular life? I'm asking you because I need to know that. <laughs> I believe we get we get wounded and imprinted in experience, in the experience of life. And I think our job is is helping professionals and just friends is to help people curate experiences for them to heal in. And so I really aspire to an experiential modality of change and healing. And it's hard, sometimes hard to do that in the home. Yeah. So for instance, if we were in another setting and you were asking me, you were like, I really am struggling with my busyness, or there's a part of me that says that I'm not doing enough, then I would say, well let's set this part right over here and let's talk to it. So the part of you that says, I'm not enough, what would you want to say to it? Let's have a conversation with that part. Instead of talking to all of Mallory, we're talking to that specific part. Yeah. And then I might have your reverse roles and see what it says to you. And we might track it back pretty quickly, which I'm sure you've done that in therapeutic oh, yeah. work. Yeah. Track it back pretty quickly to the origin. And say, oh, and then suddenly the energy and anxiety can decrease around it once we've put it in the place where it belongs, not in an overwhelming space of all encompassing the right. whole part of us. It's like a cloud over your life. It, it's a cloud over my life sometimes, these things. Yeah. But but often in the home, and this was hard on us in the beginning, because you're right, I'm, I got lucky and married an amazing woman, but she's just kind of a, care, she's a carefree spirit. She's got kind of a hippie disposition and <laughs> could care less about what I do. But well, she, she values what I do. She's proud of me, but she just is in her own kind of world and yeah. she brings people into that in such a kind, generous way. She does, yeah. That she's not over invested in what I'm accomplishing or not accomplishing. She's just always just Vanessa. And 
so when I come home, used to when I would come home with her and I would have these therapeutic tools that would drive her crazy. And she was like, stop being, you're not my therapist. And I was like, I'm really not trying to be. I just am trying to create a rhythm so we can talk. But uh-huh. she was right in some ways. I probably unconsciously was trying to change her instead of trying to look at my side. But so now I've tried to create different ways where I'm not using that language, but we can still have that conversation. One thing when I walk in the door, and I don't do it every day, but on on most days, instead of, I used to walk straight in my door and my favorite thing, particularly with two little kids and dogs are the best at this if you don't have kids, or is is the greeting. Yes, it's and, the best. And, and, and you go right into, all right, I just walked away from a nine-hour overly scheduled insane day at work and suddenly you think I've got the mentality to flip into being present for that greeting and I don't think that's realistic yeah and so one thing I'll do is bypass the greeting go straight to my room walk in my closet walk in my closet and literally change clothes change clothes yep simple I've heard that so many times I I love that yeah Yeah. it's it, it works and it works for me it may not work for everybody and then walk back in and be like I just took work off and now I'm home yeah and take a, take a beat, yeah. take a breath. Because that's, hey, you're important to everyone in the world, but you're really important to those three. Simple, practical tools. And there's a lot of them like that, that anybody can do. But there, you don't have to necessarily have the three steps to, to counteracting busyness. It's just open up, say the unsaid, and have a conversation. I you love will that, be yeah. surprised at what that does for you. And often we have the healing and change that we need built into us. It's just as long as we and other people can get out of the way of it. Gosh, we have the healing and change built into us. It's just if we can get out of the way, huh? How did you just say that? I need to write that. I've been writing stuff down this whole interview, Miles. <laughs> and I had like all of these questions, but you're just, it does. It feels like a therapy session. Anytime I, I talk to you, I just, you just, you leave the conversation feeling better. And what a gift that must be, you know, to, to have that and to be that to people. That's a really special thing. Well, thank you. I, you, you, you were reminding me of a, uh, uh, get to partner with a good friend of mine and teach a class out at San Quentin, which is a prison up in Northern California. And I was just out there a couple of weeks ago and I was with a lot of inmates and I always walk into that environment. I've only been there, I think three times now. This is new. And I think, what is it that a privileged, you know, white guy is going to have to empathize and share with a lot of these people that have been through unthinkable things, but also have committed unthinkable acts. And I, and I go in thinking I've got a teach something that I know. And, and I, once you strip all that back and give people an experience or a container to be either encouraged or heard, that's all you need to do. I, I, I walked out learning more from them just by listening. And all we did was a listening exercise. Yeah. And it turns out that most of these men were fatherless and had never been heard in their entire lives. Wow. Ever. And so just them hearing one another changed something in them. And then they had everything they need from there to be able to put the steps in place to create meaningful change. Oh, man, I could talk to you all day, Miles, but I know you you got a lot of stuff to do and you don't have all day to talk to me. But I just want, I want to thank you for, you've devoted your life to such an amazing thing, to helping people to live their best lives. It's what I try to do within my own brand every day. It's something that I'm so passionate about and something that, I feel like people are so hungry for us, someone to just guide them in living their lives to the fullest. And, you know, 
in closing, I'd love to know, A, what it is that you're doing. Because there are people that may not be able to afford on-site, may not be able to, you know, do some of these things. But do you have any tools or are there any tools coming out? I know you have an amazing podcast because I listen to it and another one coming out. If you could tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to end with just a question about living fully. So first, you know, tell us about some of those things that we can find to just get more of Miles <laughs> and the things that he gives to the world. Uh, so we are, we do have some things in development because as you said, on-site is a beautiful resource, but we're one resource and there's a lot of great resources out there and ours is not accessible for, for everybody just because of the way we've got it set up. We're growing it and, and we've got another opportunity that's going to be on the West Coast that'll be coming up next year that I'm excited about. So it gives us a little more bandwidth and opportunity, but for people who don't have the resources or time, take time to find another resource and actually we'll help you do that. And a lot of people assume if they can't afford or have the time to come to us, then don't call us, call us anyway. And yep. we've got a team of counselors awesome. that for free will help you find a resource that fits for you. And sometimes we, we have a, a partnership with an amazing foundation, you know, the onsite foundation that helps scholarship people for mental health resources, but let's strip it back further. I hope one day that I, have worked myself or we've worked ourselves out of a profession that one day there's not a need for the mental health resources because it's organically built into community. Wow. Wouldn't that and be awesome? I do believe we have that in us. I think we can, we can get back to providing what we need for one another in community and yeah. listen and empathize and speak into one another, but that's not the case now. And so I recommend professional resources if you can get them. If you can't, find someone in your home, your church, your school that you feel like can 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 listen and yeah. empathize and love you and tell one piece of one person the untold part of your story. What great advice. Tell one person the one untold part of your story. Say that one more time. Yeah, just tell just find one other safe person to tell the untold parts of your story. And and that alone can have the potential to invite a process of change that you don't need but you deserve. Yeah, and, and what a simple thing it is. It, it's the hardest thing in the world because our culture has conditioned us not to, and our a lot of times our families did to just hide it, like keep brushing it under the rug. And what you're saying is that's the beginning to, to transformation. It's something we can all do. And I've seen it in my own life. You have in yours also. That's that's amazing advice. That's the the freedom advice. on the other side. I mean, most people die with the, the, their, their story still in them, meaning they've They've shown the world their highlight reel and protected the rest. Right. Oh, and, yep. and it's just such a sad thing. I mean, at the, at the end of end of life, hospice workers will tell you that the biggest regret is not spending more time trying to accomplish things. It's spending more time in, in real conversation with the people that matter the most. And so don't wait. That's that's my encouragement is we don't have to wait to say the unsaid and speak yeah. the unspoken to the people that matter most to us. It is the biggest gift I think we can give the world. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that, what you just said about hospice. That kind of stuff, it just, it, that hits you hard and it just, it really makes you realize like how important it is. An unlived life. I love what you said well ago, like as parents, the worst thing that we can do is, is live an unlived life as human beings. Miles is the principal of human school. I feel like he calls on <laughs> human school and I love that. You are the principal. So yeah, this has been such an amazing conversation. And speaking of conversations, you have, you have a podcast 
my podcast listeners a lot of times like to oh yeah i'm terrible at talking about what i'm doing i'm glad you brought me back to that thank you so uh, i'm on social media i'm trying to learn how to do that better but you're uh, great at it at miles edcox or at on-site workshops and i'll put that in the show notes as well you can find information about what we're up to we're creating some online content that will be uh, lower cost and more accessible to people of course we've got california coming online and then the unspoken podcast we're in conversations now about how we're going to do season three we don't know what that's going to look like time-wise and schedule-wise, but we also have another one coming out of on-site called the Living Centered Podcast that will be out next that. month. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. So I'm going to leave all of this in the show notes. And just the last question for you today, Miles, I wish I could talk to you all day, but what does it mean to you to live fully? What is living fully, what does that mean to you? I, I believe that the, the longest journey that we take as human beings is the 18 inches from our head to our heart. And, and I, it, it's, it's living fully to me is leading and, and living and loving with my heart. And that is something that I surprisingly, cause I work in this field and, and I feel like I'm kind of made for it. It's, it, it doesn't always come naturally, but it's something that I've created natural rhythms in my life where it feels organic and it's in flow now and living into that where I can stay connected and tethered to my heart as I look out into the world and try to do relationships with myself and the people around me, it just creates so much more freedom. And I'll say to you too, you've been so affirming to me, you know, the the courage that someone like you, I I enjoy watching you because you just live your life out loud, meaning you share such intimate components of being in your kitchen or with your family. And that's so hard for even me and other people to consider doing. It's so, it's one of the bravest things I think we can do. And it's probably more encouraged than you even think. Thank you. That means a lot. For for people who have tried to, again, stay walled off from the world and hear somebody that just says, no, actually I'm living my life and I'm going to share it with you. It's a powerful thing. So I appreciate what you do Thank in the you. world that too. Did, did not used to always be the case for me. I never used to show up without full makeup on. And now, wow, if you watch my Instagram stories, you're going to see us. It's a sight to behold, but I want people to know that like that's living fully to me. It's real. Is just, is showing people just me living my regular life, you know? And it's funny that that can actually be a profession these days and something that people will watch. And I really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot, Miles, coming from you especially. So thank you times one million for today. I really enjoyed this conversation. You are such a light. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And it was just uh, delightful. I love spending time with you as well. So, All right. And I hope that there's a book that will come out in this world sometime. That's coming too. I forgot to mention it. That's on the way. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Miles Adcox. You guys check out the show notes for things that we talked about today in this episode and for links to Miles. I know everybody's going to want to follow Miles after today. So thanks so much, Miles. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.